Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Oneida County has recently seen a wave of overdoses, some involving a more dangerous purple-colored heroin. Dr. Ross Sullivan is here to talk about this drug. He's an emergency physician at Upstate and also the director of medical toxicology. Welcome back to The Informed Patient, Dr. Sullivan. Thanks for having me, Amber. Nice to be back. Why is this purple-colored heroin such a concern? Well, you know, anytime there's a new drug in the area, obviously, that becomes linked to um, perhaps increased deaths that we see uh, across the population, it's it's something that's a real cause for concern. Um, specifically here, the purple heroin, we think it's maybe... A marketing ploy, but it does work in people who use drugs. And unfortunately, we don't know exactly what's in it. But normally across the country, when there are purple heroines, there are ad- additional synthetic opioids ad- uh, added to the heroin. And unfortunately, this makes it much more dangerous to use. So it appears that it might be more potent than just regular heroin. Yes. Anytime we see a spike in deaths, um, across the population, we feel that there's something going on with the drug supply. Normally, um, it's either tainted or some type of additive or potency. And um, purple heroin has been seen um, in the past in other parts of the country, and maybe even Oneida. And normally, in these purple heroines, there is an added opioid to it. Um, so we know that there's fentanyl, which is a very potent opioid and much stronger than heroin, already added to the heroin supply. And purple heroin may even have another opioid on top of those two added to it. And this is a pretty dangerous, uh, dangerous combination to occur. So the drugs that are added to the heroin might make it change the color to more of a purple, or there could be a coloring agent that's added. You're just not sure? Absolutely. Most experts really don't completely know exactly what is making the purple color itself. Um, We don't know if it's necessarily the actual additive drugs. We think that the purple itself is something that's done in the lab um, to kind of denote or market a different type of drug in the market. We don't necessarily believe that the extra drug is actually purple in color. We think, though, that it's more of maybe like a marketing ploy to try to get this type of drug or maybe even brand uh, to the users um, on the street. It does make it um, extraordinarily uh, dangerous. But again, the exact reason is purple. We're still not quite sure. Do the authorities think this is being made locally or is this purple heroin being imported from somewhere else? You know, I can't say exactly what the uh, authorities, you know, do or don't think. Um, Since this purple heroin has really been around for the past several years in different parts of the country, normally we feel that these things are being brought in from other areas um, and uh, kind of part of some type of distribution um, type of system. There's been outbreaks of this in areas of Michigan and some other areas in the Midwest. So it's most likely part of a larger type of distribution plan and um, which, you know, makes it, you know, really makes it scary. So Um, It has kind of entered our area and um, something really to keep an eye on. Now, in addition to heroin, you mentioned some of the drugs that are mixed with it, perhaps fentanyl and some other opioids. Mixing these multiple opioids together, does that necessarily mean that their strength is going to be multiplied? 
I think that, you know, when someone is using anything in one sitting um, or one or over a use, you know, the more of it in there, the worse, you know, the more dangerous it can be. An example might be you think of alcohol. You know, if someone were to sit down and have one alcoholic drink at a time compared to sitting down and immediately having two or three alcoholic drinks, um, there's definitely an additive effect, right? And this is the same thing with the opioids. If I'm taking different opioids, but all at the same time, you know, there's an additive effect. And added to that, that some of these opioids are more potent than other ones. Like we already know that fentanyl is much more potent than heroin, anywhere up to 50 times stronger. So when you have these things mixed together, you definitely have an additive or even multiple effect, you know, on the effect that it will have on somebody. So, you know, using these things in even one single sitting or one use um, can be really dangerous. What is brorphine? B-R-O-R-P-H-I-N-E. Uh, Brorphine is another um, opioid that's uh, synthetic, so it's not naturally occurring. So when we talk about the naturally occurring um, opiates, we're actually talking about opiates. And I talked a little bit about opiate history, and really that comes from the poppy, um, which we've heard of. And in the poppy, um, there's something called latex, and this latex uh, in it is filled with opiates, and in it is morphine and codeine. And that's really it. And and from the morphine and codeine in the poppy, we can make heroin. So heroin, we say, is semi-natural or semi-synthetic. Almost all the other opioids that we hear about are synthetic to some degree. So that's what we call opioid, like an android. So brorphine is another one of these um, synthetic um, opioids that has been created by um, drug makers at some point. Now, I believe it was actually made as an analgesic or a pain medication um, at some point. It is really not used um, in this country, um, but we're starting to see it more in um, this country as an additive to our uh, drug supply. And um, we really started seeing it again in the Midwest during around 2018, 19. And now we've seen it crop up at other points. So again, it's another one of these opioids. It's just another one that has, you know, a good potency uh, within the body. Um, again, when added to other opioids, it's very dangerous. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient podcast with your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Ross Sullivan. He's an emergency physician and director of medical toxicology at Upstate. And we're talking about purple heroin, which is showing up in the community. Now, what effects are people seeking when they... Um, you know, are going to take this purple heroin? What are they looking for or expecting to have happen to them? Well, you know, when people use drugs or opioids, I mean, there's really comes down to a few reasons in the end. Um, one of them is obviously to feel euphoric, right? Or we talk about feeling high. And, uh, and then when people use drugs, you know, part of this process actually neurochemically or the chemicals in the brain, we call it tolerance, right? Which means you get used to taking the same amount. And people sometimes could think about this easier when they think about alcohol, right? You know, someone who might have an alcohol problem, you can see they become tolerant and it can be totally normal having two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight drinks. So this happens with any drug and as opioid as well. So sometimes uh, people use drugs to just feel euphoric. Um, sometimes they do it because they just want to feel normal. One of the things that we, you know, we see is that people oftentimes are just trying to treat not feeling normal. They want to be normal, and they also don't want to have withdrawal. 
And that's really one of the number one reasons people use. I think that there's a misconception or stigma that drug users are constantly just always trying to be as euphoric or high as possible. And certainly that's a component of using uh, opioids and drugs, but another big component of it is just keeping themselves out of withdrawal or from feeling pretty sick or ill. So um, just like anything, although when there is a new drug in the market that might be having some additional euphoric or high effects, you know, people will seek it out to see, you know, how does it make them feel? Does it maybe allow them to not feel sick or have withdrawal? You know, maybe it's cheaper. You know, I don't know about the cost, but there's a lot of reasons that's, that would drive somebody to use this. Is there any way to detect whether heroin includes something like fentanyl before a person ingests it? So great question. Um, we have been using, we talking about uh, people in addiction, have been using uh, and distributing fentanyl test strips. And these fentanyl test strips um, are being deployed more and more by, by harm reduction uh, agencies and by drug treatment facilities. And really what this basically is, is you can take some of your drug and you can basically, you know, put it in some type of water and basically put this fentanyl test strip in it and it will tell you if there's fentanyl in it. And um, these are things that are being used and given out to people. And we're really advocating for when people are using drugs, particularly a new type or from a new uh, you're getting it from a new person or place or it looks different. We're really advocating using, you know, fentanyl test strips and giving them out as well. Um, it's hard to say exactly where you get them. Most drug treatment agencies now are giving them to patients. Um, and some counties through the Department of Health uh, are also distributing them through some anti-drug um, programs. So, you know, I tell people all the time to look for fentanyl test strips throughout your area and in your county. You can order them online sometimes. It's really, really life-saving. So it's really something that we advocate strongly for. Now, what about after ingestion? Are there symptoms that would indicate that the person is in danger of overdose? Overdosing, you know, unfortunately, one of the biggest risk factors of overdosing is using alone. And, you know, catching oneself or yourself overdosing is almost impossible, right? Because you, you start to become sleepy and tired. I uh, start breathing a little bit less and then you overdose, you're overdosing and the self-awareness of it or being able to treat oneself doing it is, is really impossible. So when we talk about harm reduction techniques, in addition to using fentanyl test strips, we talk about using with somebody else or not using alone because it's a huge risk factor. And, you know, the risk and what we see when people are overdosing is obviously is a severe altered mental status. So people become almost in a coma or we use the word obtunded. They really can't respond to you. Um, and one of the biggest things is really shallow breathing to stopping breathing. This is the biggest sign of an opioid or heroin or fentanyl overdose. But to really identify this, though, you have to be using with somebody else because using alone, you really will not be able to be, you know, conscious enough to, you know, to be aware of this. So we advocate to have people use with other people. Now, this purple heroin that's on the market locally, does naloxone work to reverse the effects of that? Absolutely. We know that naloxone or Narcan works for almost or all opioid overdoses. Um, certainly, there are some stories out in the press that talk about all this naloxone-resistant drugs. And as a toxicologist, where we study how these drugs work and how they bind in the body, um, you know, we don't deny that maybe some people might need some additional dosing here and there. But the uh, the kind of fear that naloxone doesn't work is really unfounded. Um, 
I think that what we're seeing is a couple of things. One, we're seeing that naloxone has been so wildly distributed and given by such an array of people that people are just giving a lot of it, you know? And of course, when someone's not breathing and they're unconscious, a lay person or someone who doesn't have a lot of experience might give multiple doses within just two to three minutes. Those of us who are trained or professionals in it really only give one dose every three minutes. So that's one reason we're seeing additional doses. Another is that there are other additives to our drug supply, which cause um, a lot of sedation. Now, one of the things that we see a lot is something called xylazine. And xylazine actually is a, a tranquilizer used in veterinary medicine. And we're starting to see this added to our local drug supply in central New York. We saw it a couple of years ago, really starting in uh, Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia area, uh, into the New York City area. And now it's becoming more ubiquitous in central New York. And the thing about this is that it's not an opioid, so it does not respond to naloxone. And we're starting to see people who do have some type of resistance, so to, so to speak, of naloxone. It's mostly due to these other factors, just people giving it much quicker uh, and people having other drugs on board that don't work with naloxone. So we absolutely recommend always if someone is in a coma, especially not breathing, that's the point of giving naloxone or Narcan, is to um, give it and wait two to three minutes and, you know, give it again and, you know, call the authorities or 911 and get some people there to help. But yes, it absolutely works. And we don't really, um, really believe in naloxone or Narcan resistance. We think it's a lot of these other things. In the emergency room, if you have this patient that the naloxone is not completely working on and you suspect there's other drugs that were mixed in with whatever they took. What else can you do for them in the emergency room? If someone's breathing, you know, we will give naloxone and can continue to try it until we have, we've reversed somebody not breathing. Um, but there does come a point where perhaps there is no more effect and there is another drug that is contributing. Um, and what we call is we call supportive care. And supportive care doesn't mean we just, you know, watch you, you know, we'll, we'll support the patient in ways that we need. So for instance, like xylazine, uh, patients could have low blood pressure and low pulse. So we will give um, medications or things to counteract those things. Sometimes people are in such a deep coma, they, they do lose their airway. So we'll have to, you know, we will intubate them or put a tube in their throat to help support them to kind of metabolize and overcome these drugs. So, um, and there is no way to know, right, when someone's in the emergency department. I think some people think that we can just test for drugs and we know within a heartbeat what people are using. And that's actually not true. We have to use the whole picture of the patient and what's happened and support the patient. And in the emergency department, we do a fairly good job, um, you know, but in a community or people don't get to emergency services, that's where, you know, people are dying, unfortunately, and passing away. Um, and this is why we, you know, advocate for some of these harm reduction techniques, um, you know, such a dangerous drug supply, you know, to help keep people safe. Well, regarding this purple heroin, are there precautions for first responders or the friends of someone who was known to have ingested purple heroin? Are there precautions for those people in trying to take care of someone who may be overdosing on purple heroin? You know, one of the biggest things that we say is we try to get too uh, conflicting here, but it is perfectly safe to walk by near someone who's using this. These drugs could be on the ground, on the person. Obviously, we always talk about like just very basic hygiene things, you know, clean your hands maybe after, or maybe even wear gloves if you'd like. But certainly these drugs are safe to get on your skin. I know that there's these stories that we see in, in the press 
that often end up getting debunked. But general precautions, of course, you know, the biggest things are be careful of needles and syringes. If there is a lot of drug paraphernalia or even drug all over the place, you know, sure, you might want to be careful and not get it on your hands and whatnot, but it is always safe to take care of these people. Otherwise, just remember to be, make sure you're in a safe environment and you're not around you know, things like drug paraphernalia or maybe needles or syringes that, you know, that can cause some type of damage to you if you're to get a needle stick, let's say. Well, Dr. Sullivan, I want to thank you so much for making time for this interview. Thanks for having me. I hope this helps, you know, some people. You know, the biggest thing, too, is, again, there is there is help out there for you. You can look at any place in your county. There's quite a few places that help people that are struggling. Um, and be safe, you know, use Narcan, um, get fentanyl test strips. You can look at your um, your county department of websites. They'll give you a wealth of information, both in Oneida and Onondaga. Um, and hopefully, you know, use safer and get help when you need it. My guest has been Director of Medical Toxicology and Emergency Physician, Dr. Ross Sullivan. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.